Support for the Sponsor Pod and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey guys, it's Jason. Welcome to episode number six of the Sponsor Pod featuring Nick Lawson, founder and CEO of the digital engagement app Squad. Many of you know Nick from his daily sponsorship posts on LinkedIn. He's passionate about the industry and has been providing some really cool content for the industry. He's definitely worth the follow. In this interview, we explore his career path, talk about how COVID is affecting his business, and how Squad and others can stay relevant in this changing environment. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Started meeting developers to kind of start building this, and then, um, to be honest, the first first team that said yes uh, about two months after I graduated was uh, Portland Winter Hawks, who are still a big, big client of ours to this day. Um, but you know, I went in there with Photoshop mockups and kind of said, "This is what I think your mobile app should be able to do, and this is why, and this is why it'll be more engaging than, let's say, a Trailblazers app uh, that's just going to have your stat scores and highlights." And they loved it, and they kind of said, "Great, let's get a contract together." And that's kind of when we created the LLC. Uh, that's amazing to to do that. And we had our first contract. The, the product uh, unequivocally failed. Uh, for for many months. Um, luckily, the Winterhawks were very good with us and saw the long-term vision. This is the Sponsor Pod, a show about sponsorship leaders and their experiences, stories, and how they see the ever-changing world of sponsorships. I'm Jason Smith, and on the show today, we're going to hear from Nick Lawson, founder and CEO of Squad. I connected with Nick to hear about his sponsorship journey. I guess kind of on the sports side, my my sports bug came from my grandfather. He was a sports writer out in Dayton, Ohio. So, um, you know, he was retired by the time I was born, but he was really the person who got me into sports, all the stories, um, you know, watching sports with him. Very cool. That's awesome. It sounds like you had a great relationship with your grandfather. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper and kind of walk through your career path, if that's mm-hmm. okay. Yep, absolutely. And, and, and ask you some some questions on on maybe why you made changes from here to there as you as you uh, kind of stair-step mm-hmm. in your, your career into creating squad. Um, but first off, I, I was reading that your favorite athlete of all time is Sue Bird, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the top WNBA basketball players in history of the sport. I feel like there's maybe a little bit of a story behind that. Do you mind sharing that? Yeah, you know. <clears throat> how, come, how come Sue Bird? Usually, usually it's like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or something like that, but I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, totally. yeah. Yeah, you know, um, well, for one, my, you know, my grandpa was from, uh, grew up in Tennessee, so he was a big lady Vols fan. Um, so, you know, women's basketball was, was watched in my household, um, and, you know, engaged with and connected with, and, and obviously a rival of UConn, especially in those days where there was great games, but, you know, Sue, you know, followed her career through UConn and then, you know, just her career through with the Seattle storm, she's done amazing things. And, 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 you know, if you if you look at her longevity and the level of basketball she's been able to play throughout her years, and now you know sitting on three championships, the only three for the Seattle Storm, um, you know she's not talked about enough. And that's that's with most you know WNBA players, Maya Moore, Diana Taurasi, you know all these great players are kind of forgotten when we when we think about great athletes. But if you really look at the resume of Sue Bird and, and what she's been able to accomplish at a high level. Um, and, and, you know, it was almost a dream come true to, to be able to work with the Seattle Storm and, and kind of work with them and, and be a little more associated with them and kind of 
see how, you know, the team works um, when we sign them as a client. But, um, you know, again, it's, it's when you look at all the athletes, you kind of look at longevity. Are they able to play at the top level um, and top of their game for a long time? And then, you know, just some of the assists that she's been able to have uh, have been huge highlights. Um, and just her grit of, of playing and, and she's the ultimate competitor. Um, so, you know, that's, that's why she always pops up to the top of my head. I'm just always amazed at one, how, how, how intense of an athlete she is. Um, but number two, how she's been able to play at that high level for so, so long. Um, and, and even now, right. I mean, if Sue Bird is on your basketball team, you have a chance, um, to, to be competitive and, and to win a championship and we saw that a couple of years ago with the storm so that's you know it was kind of a mix of again growing up with women's basketball in my household uh with my grandfather who watched you know almost every lady fools game uh that was played but then also you know massively respecting uh and, and loving to watch her play and her creativity on the court yeah that's awesome and and you mentioned that your your grandfather was a sports writer and and that kind of first helped you develop your love of, of sports. Um, did you live close to him? Did you attend games with him? You know, we, we didn't, we lived in California. Um, they lived in, in Tennessee, just outside of Knoxville. Um, but what I would do is I'd go over for summers. Um, so we would go to university of Tennessee, um, you know, football games. Uh, if we, if we visited at that time, the big thing when he would come out to come visit was we'd go to Cal games where my parents went and, and, you know, we were a fan there. So, um, you know, there was many kind of summer trips that, that we would either take out there or he would come back here. Um, and, you know, obviously the big thing when he would come out is we would go see sports games, um, whatever that might be. It might be a high school football game. Uh, it might be, you know, a high school baseball game. He was always kind of looking for those sports games to kind of go attend. And, and just between that and watching on television with him and then, you know, even just on the phone chatting sports with him, um, you know, my, my household wasn't very sports heavy, uh, but he was sort of that, that connection that, um, that, that I, the outlet for me that I could really jam on some sports items and, and get really deep about, you know, favorite players and teams and, and all of that. And you, and you went to, you grew up in California, but you decided to go to the Northwest and, and chose Willamette University there in Salem. Oregon and, and you played football there. So you, you, you must've been a pretty decent football player in high school. Um, uh, what position did you play? Yeah. You know, up at, up in, up at Willamette, I played offensive line. Um, okay. you know, the, the big thing I was in high school, I was football crazy. I mean, I'm talking, you know, I knew every college player, every NFL player, NFL network was on every morning kind of before I got ready for school. So, yeah. you know, um, football was a main driver of moving up there and, you know, going, going as a California kid where it's sunny, you know, 360 days a year to, you know, nine months of rain in, in Salem, Morgan was definitely an adjustment and something I wasn't, let's say per se, really ready for. Um, but, you know, uh, was looking at a few junior colleges, was looking at a few, um, you know, walk-on opportunities that, that I, that I was trying to do for football. And then, you know, this, this, this school up North called Willamette, uh, which is Willamette, but, but when you read yeah, it, Willamette. It, yeah. And, and I grew up in Portland. So that's, I heard that a ton. A lot of people mispronouncing that name. <laughs> yeah. You know, my, my coach kind of said, there's a school named Willamette and they want to talk to you and have you send film. And, you know, went up there for a visit, like the coaching staff, um, you know, loved football and they actually wanted me to come, come up there and play. And, that kind of was the decision. Luckily, what I always tell my parents, luckily it's a good school. Um, and it, you know, it, it worked out very well, but you know, I'd be lying to you if, if, you know, I didn't say 85 to 90% of that decision was, you know, I was, I had the ability to play football and, and keep playing football yeah. um, into my college yeah. career. And what did you play all four years there? What I did. Was it, what was it like playing, playing football for Willamette? Yeah, you know, I played all four years there. It was, you know, it was interesting. I, I was, I was never the starter. Um, I was never kind of the guy, but you know, what, what I loved just about football one was playing. Um, and, and number two was just the process of getting better. Right. I mean, yep. you're talking 6am lifting, um, you know, practices at night, 
um, meetings in the afternoon, managing a full, you know, sort of schedule for classes. And to be honest, at Willamette, being a Division three school, we were only about half the required hours uh, for NCAA of, of how much time we put in. Um, so, you know, for me, it was just kind of that process of trying to get better, chasing that, you know, how can I get into a starting rotation? Can I, can I, can I push myself to, um, you know, be better at practice, do better? And, and that's kind of really what I fell in love with. And a lot of people ask me just, hey, you know, maybe in my career I got into four games um, total. But, you know, it's, it's a couple of things. One is just that camaraderie of the team and, and being with the team in the locker room and, you know, making friends that, you know, we, I've had, you know, for since then and, and been in weddings for and, and all of that. And then on there's the a lot side, you learn playing for a team, right? It's, and you know, wh whether you get in or not, there's, there's a lot of leadership that goes into it, how, how to, how to lead, how to follow too. Right. It's, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I see somebody in the professional world and, and, and there's something about, um, you know, athletes and particularly college athletes, just because again, it is a job. I mean, if you technically add up the hours I spent doing football activities and doing, you know, my studies, football was actually more. So technically I have a degree in, in college football um, from Willamette, but you know, it's, it's interesting. You'll see somebody in the professional world and you'll say, you know, you'll get this feeling like, Hey, that, that person was an athlete. And, you know, I'd say eight times out of 10, it's, they played college athletics um, and, and that's just the process that it builds within you to, you know, get better, get the job done, um, you know, not complain, uh, not as, give up. Yeah, exactly. Not give up, you know, shooting toward a goal. Um, and, and that's, that's sort of the pieces that, you know, again, when it comes down to four years, why in your second year, when, to be honest, we had some great offense alignment on those teams. And, you know, I, I, you know, looking back, I never was going to be kind of that starter or that guy. Um, you know, other than injuries and kind of almost desperation of, of getting me in there. Um, but, but at the same time, it was, you know, I didn't quit after that second year because, um, again, two things. One, it was just the people that I met and, and built a relationship with and, and had fun with on the team. And then second is just building in that process of, of chasing, you know, getting better, chasing, uh, chasing that opportunity to be a starter. And then, you know, also just, helping my team any way that I can. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you look back and you wish you had so many more years to kind of play. What I do like about the business side is, is, you know, in, in, in college football, you have four years of eligibility, maybe five. Um, and then it's over, uh, unless you're good enough to go pro, um, you know, for business, it's, you know, a lot of the same principles, but, um, you, you have your whole life, right? I mean, you, you can continually get better and, and grow. So it's, you know, I've almost shifted that sort of focus from, again, from athletics to, to the business side where obviously I have a lot more lifetime sort of on my, my business career, but, you know, doing things day in, day out, um, building those relationships with the people I work with, uh, getting better every day. And then, you know, um, and then continuing to, to kind of grow and build something that's going to be successful. You know, I was talking to, uh, the uh, head football coach of Boise State and um, Coach Harson and and he said something that I thought was really important, which is, you know, not every player on my team is going to you know make it to the NFL, you know, mm -hmm. and they're, they they may they may go pro playing football, but most of them are going to go pro in something else other than football, right? Yeah. And and I'm and he he was saying, and I'm here to develop those those uh, those men into becoming pro in something, whether it's nursing, accounting, you name it, right? They, they're learning life skills by playing football to become a pro in something else other than football, which I think yep. is a great principle to, to teach those kids for sure. Yep. Absolutely. Well, um, you, you, when you went to, to, uh, Willamette university, you, you got your undergraduate degree in studio art. Um, which I, I think the emphasis was mostly graphic design. Why has there always been a love of graphic design? Why, why did you choose that degree other than maybe a business degree? Yeah, you know, it's um, I, I had always drawn. Um, I was I was fairly talented at it. Um, it was something I was good at, and 
you know, again, kind of when, when I got to college, it was, you know, choosing a major that was going to be, you know, interesting for you. So, um, you know, my first year, I didn't really know I was going into studio art, obviously did the wide range of, of topics and, and, and sort of pieces. And then, you know, from there, um, took a few art classes, um, saw the kind of path to um, sort of to getting a studio art degree. One thing I started noticing, and this was obviously right around when Facebook and Twitter was getting big and Instagram was even popping out, you know, kind of near the, the last two years of that was, um, you know, I kind of saw that teams were, were going to need um, graphics, right? Whether that's in stadium or online. Um, so that was part of it was I started to see the kind of the writing on the wall that um, I could use this skill uh, either in advertising or to use it in, um, in sports. Uh, you know, at that time though, what I, what I tell people who are getting their art degree now is they've never had it better just because, you know, graphic design is huge within social media and, and digital advertising and things like that, just because it's, you know, you have to create so many pieces of content and posts that, you know, back at, back, back in my day when you were getting your art degree, if you worked for an agency, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're getting something together for a billboard or maybe you're getting something together for one time for a website. Um, so there just wasn't as much demand per se kind of for that. So, you know, it's, it's, it was just something I was good at and something that I gravitated towards. Um, I will say it's, it's one, it was one of those things where my parents kind of were like, you know, uh, you're getting an art degree. Uh, <laughs> what, what job are you going to get with that? Was sports graphic design kind of what you were thinking was going to be the long-term plan for you? Yeah. You know, to be honest, it was, and it, and it really was honestly, uh, I guess sort of my path, right? Like um, I, I saw that as an easier way to make it into uh, a team, right? Just because graphic design is always needed. And, you know, especially as an intern coming in, especially as an unpaid intern coming in, you know, when I first got started is. And you um, interned for the, the Salem Kaiser Volcanoes, a baseball yep. team and the Klamath yep. Falls Gems. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. And they were owned by the same owner. So, you know, okay. luckily I didn't have to go down to, to Klamath Falls, which is about, I think like a six hour drive from, uh, from, from Salem, but, um, and just did graphic design work for them. Yeah. Freelance as an intern. Yep. Just started out as that, you know, did one project, you know, kind of cold emailed them and just said, Hey, I'd love to do some work and went and met with them, did a, did a first project, which was a, a baseball card set for their 4th of July game um which had a, a veteran and a baseball player on it so you know that was the first big project i did for them and then after that a few other projects um then started doing some work for the Klamath falls gyms and did you know all their all-star graphics for when they had the all-star game down there um so it's you know it was it was an easier way to get into the business let's say without um sports business um uh experience because, you know, with graphic design experience, obviously, you know, they can say, hey, look, we're looking to make some baseball cards. Um, I don't need to know too much about the sports business to create, a, you know, to create a baseball card set for them. But at the same time, as I'm creating that and working with them, I'm starting to learn a lot about, again, how sponsorship is done, how ticket sales are done just by being in that environment. So I think, you know, for me, it was, it was the perfect segue. And, you know, I'd like to say I had it all planned out, um, but a lot of it was just I knew I wanted to do graphic design and it worked out that that was an easy first foot in the door to, to work for a sports team and kind of get that on my resume and learn some stuff. Um, but that was, you know, that was kind of the key as I got started was just really, really taking a skill I had um, going and saying, hey, I can be helpful for you all. What project do you have? And, then, you know, not asking necessarily for a full job, but getting started off with one project coming through for them. How did then, you get you know, those internships? How did those internships kind of come about for you? Uh, I'm a big cold emailer. I always have been. Um, and I started with my football recruiting process. I think, I think about every junior college in, in, in the country got an email from me as well as some other universities. So, um, so to be honest, I knew that they were in town and um, they were the only sports organization at that time in town. Um, so what I, what I did was just cold emailed their vice president and said, hey, I, I have graphic design skills, would love to do a project for you all for free. 
uh, and he and he reached back out. And I had cold emailed some other teams uh, within the Portland area as well, but um, but he, you know, they, it just just was a cold email that said, "Hey, I want to I want to help you for free so I can learn." Um, and kind of got back that that summer and just said, "Yeah, we have some projects come in, and I'd love to chat with you about it." So yeah, get it on the resume. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's perfect. Exactly. And why you were, I think it was kind of 2012, 13, you were going to graduate school at Willamette. Um, you decided to get your MBA from, from Willamette as well, right after graduation in marketing um, mm-hmm. specifically. Um, and you were doing some of this freelance design work, but you also ran, landed your, really your first sponsorship job with the Salem Sabres. Um, how did you get that job and what did, what did it entail? Was that kind of the first paid paid job for you in sports? Yeah, you know, and it was commission based, so it wasn't even a full kind of salary. Hundred percent commission. You know, and that's that's kind of the best way to do it, especially getting getting in there on sales. But um, but yeah, you know, I had done some stuff with the Salem Kaiser Volcanoes. To be honest, their organization was pretty uh, full. Um, you know, it's a small baseball club, and um, you know, I don't they weren't going to bring on a graphic designer um, full time. Uh, and again, I didn't really have the experience of. Of sponsorship sales so I actually I actually while getting my MBA uh, you know that first year is when I um, when I kind of started you know saw, saw them on Facebook um, kind of reached out to the owner and said hey I'd love to help and, and come in and, and do some sponsorship work uh, I knew it being a, an upstart team and a new team that I'd be able to kind of come in and and really really um, like learn right not just be kind of that intern you know getting coffee and i know that interns don't get coffee usually they're making run sheets or you know uh putting you know sales prospects on excel sheets but yeah. you know for for me it was hey i can, i think what i can do is i can really get into the fire and you know maybe i don't have that person who has sold sponsorship for 20 years who can give me the that that you know feedback but what i can do is kind of have my own processes and, and really learn myself about how uh, I can be successful. So, um, so, you know, he was, he was looking for somebody to sell sponsorship. Uh, I went into the community, was able to um, kind of to get some community people on board. Jamba Juice, uh, Copeland Sports was still around back then in Salem. So we got Copeland uh, on board and, and a few other, you know, local organizations um, to come on board and, and be sponsors for the team. And um, that was that was huge for me just because I was able to learn on my own kind of what worked and what didn't within sponsorship sales. Um, while at the same time, um, you know, really getting that hands-on experience with brands. And that was, you know, when I was deciding on that job for a summer internship, um, I also had an offer for an internship at uh, Comcast Sportsnet down in the Bay Area. Um, and my decision kind of there was if you looked at sort of, um, you know, I turned down the offer, but when you looked at the, what, what you would be doing game to game is, you know, you'd be at Warriors games and A's games passing out t-shirts, right. Um, which is again, sponsor based. And I'm sure I would have learned a lot there, but, um, I kind of chose the job where I could actually get in, get in and talk to sponsors, um, be able to, again, learn in that sales process a little bit on my own and try some new things um, and then see what's successful, what wasn't. Um, and, and, you know, my bet was is that I could learn so much more from that process than, you know, learning maybe 10% of the time while, while an intern for, for Comcast Sportsnet. Yeah. But then, you know, 80, you know, 90% of the time handing out T-shirts and standing at a booth uh, and handing out freebies and, and, and that sort of thing. So that's where I took that job. And again, it was, it was successful. Unfortunately, the team didn't, didn't last too long um, as, as, it, as it got things going, but it was huge in my career just as a stepping stone to be able to get, again, get that on my resume of actually working with brands um, and then learning myself, especially within a localized community like Salem, how really to push a product of sports uh, and get them connected, um, you know, especially since, I mean, we were probably doing 800 people a game at, oh, at wow. the Salem Sabres. So how do you get, yeah. how do you get a Jamba Juice to, to convince them to say, yes, I'll give you some money as well as some, you know, in-kind trade stuff 
when I know, you know, you're only getting 800 people a game coming to your games. You, you must have just been burning the oil in the lamp like crazy. <laughs> you were doing work because you, you also did some stuff for Pylon uh-huh. football, right? Elite sport camps. And then, so how'd you find time to do that, you know, while going to getting your graduate degree and also doing um, all the work with the uh, Sabres? You know, to be honest, it was, it was normal and, and it and still is normal today with, with starting a business. And that's just, again, when you're an athlete, that's what you do, right? I mean, you have your schoolwork and you have your athletic work and, you know, from 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. sometimes uh, until 7 at night, you're either doing, you know, school, actual activity schoolwork and actual activity football stuff. So, you know, it was, it was interesting just because, um, this wasn't anything new to me to have, you know, to be doing two, two jobs, uh, and doing, you know, my MBA work, obviously at that time, my MBA got, you know, 90% focus, um, just because, you know, I needed to graduate and get my degree and MBA, MBA is a lot harder than undergrad as it should be. Um, but it was, it was, you know, it was just normal for me. It was normal for me to constantly be working and, and doing these things. And, and, and the other piece of it is just, I love doing it. Right. It, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like work. If, if I'm up till 2 AM, it's not because I'm like, Oh, I'm up till 2 AM because I have to do this and finish this proposal. It's after I've done, you know, all my MBA work, it's, you know, Oh, it's, I didn't even notice it was 2 AM because I'm doing all this work and getting this going. So I think wow. a, a key thing was, is, you know, it's what I love to do. And that's kind of why I took both of those projects on while getting my MBA. Um, but then, you know, on, on, on the flip side, it was just kind of ingrained in me from, from being an athlete and almost really never knowing. Let's, and plus let's you're trying to get, time. you're trying to get as much experience as you can in sports. And point. that was, that was my big thing is, you know, my, I, I, I knew I'd, li- I'd move up to Portland, um, you know, after I got my MBA and my goal was just to get as much experience under my belt so that, you know, hopefully, and it didn't end up, end up happening, but hopefully I'd move up to Portland and, go work for, you know, the Timbers or the Trailblazers or, you know, any of the organizations up here. So what were um, you doing for, what were you doing for Pylon? You know, Pylon was just a lot of um, kind of building up their brand assets. And, and, and that's really when I kind of started getting into some of the digital things, just meaning like from a graphic, yeah, from a graphic design. Yeah. You know, I, I created their logo. Um, I created a lot of their sort of elements with sponsors. Um, I helped, kind of uh, facilitate and chat with sponsors. Um, uh, I kind of helped them chat through again at that time, getting a Facebook piece going. And, you know, um, we were, we were messing with some live streaming stuff at that time, which was crazy because you couldn't just press a button on, you know, on, on a, on a computer right now, which is how you can do live streaming right now. Um, So that was, you know, that was another, that was another organization where it was kind of a playground where Baron who runs it kind of said, Hey, look, we need to get better here, here, and here. How can you help? Um, and I kind of just came in and again, between graphic design and, and, and the sponsorship piece and especially the digital piece kind of helped them build up and, and get a few elements and assets um, on that side. And, you know, Baron's done an amazing job of building that from, you know, a tiny seven on seven to the premier seven on seven camp. I mean, their Vegas tournament has like 120 teams, which, yeah. you know, you're, you're seeing first round draft picks come through there uh, and, and part- compete and participate in those camps. So, you know, I, it, it was easy just because I had, I had good ingredients to cook with while I was with, with him. Um, you know, I, I had a very small part in coming in and, and trying to digitize a little bit what they were doing, but also help them out as uh, on the graphic side to get everything going. When we come back, Nick will take us through the creation of his company, Squad, and talk about some of the challenges he faced creating the company. We'll also dive into some of the current challenges the industry faces with sponsorship engagement with COVID disrupting sports. Stay with us. This is Jason Smith, and you're listening to The Sponsor Pod. Support for The Sponsor Pod and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, Look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. 
Hey, welcome back to the Sponsor Pod. I'm Jason Smith. Nick needed a business partner to help with the development of his app and decided to put his roommate through coding school to help the company get to where it needed to be. Yeah, you know, it's, it all goes back to sports. Lee, uh, Lee was um, really big into intramurals. And the first time I met Lee, he came onto my hall looking for somebody to play intramural flag football, which technically we weren't supposed to do as a varsity athlete. But uh, <laughs> one, one Monday night, he needed somebody to play co-ed flag football. And uh, I said, and of course, yeah. you're not going to turn that down. Exactly right. Is and you know it was it was the day uh, we had off days on Mondays, uh, which is was one of the days that we we had to get our lifts in. Um, so I had just lifted, done a done a heavy lift, and then went and played nine o'clock flag football. Which the next day is uh, the next day we used to call it Workday Tuesday, which it was a, our longest day uh, for football was on Tuesday. So it was a very bad idea at the time. But um, but yeah, you know was eventually a roommate of Lee's. Um, you know, we hang out with, hung out with the same people. And then, you know, as I was getting my MBA, he went and worked at Nike um, and, uh, and, and did some operations stuff there. And then to be honest, that when, when I started this company, he was very interested in, and kind of came on board and, and started this with, with, with me. Um, yeah, and he we, actually, he actually wasn't a coder until after we started. We actually used company money to send him to coding school. Uh, oh, so really? Build that skill. So yeah. he, he didn't even know how to code at that point. You know, the first, the first team we closed, uh, we closed them on a mobile app and we hadn't built it yet. Uh, I, I pretty much showed them Photoshop mockups of what the mobile app would look like. Um, and so you had what, designed out this sketch of, of squad. Yep. I kind of built, built the, built the, just the, the mock-ups of the screen. They weren't clickable at all. Had a vision of, again, a little bit more engaging of a, of an app than, than just your tickets and scores and highlights. And, and say, did, where did this, where did this idea come from? Like, when did it start? Yeah. You know, it was, it was a mix. I did a paper an industry analysis class that um, I did, I did sports obviously. And, and, you know, my, my question uh, that I was trying to solve was how can minor league teams compete with major league teams when they're in the same market? So I was very intrigued on, um, you know, even Salem, Oregon with the, with the Salem Kaiser volcanoes, you know, how can they um, compete when the blazers are obviously, you know, throughout the state of Oregon, huge, right. And, and how can they uh, compete with those bigger teams? But even, uh, you know, uh, the Hillsboro Hops, which is a Diamondback affiliate who had just opened up when I was doing this paper. Um, you know, how do they compete for ticket sales with the Blazers? Um, and one of the things that I found was just technology was a cheap, scalable piece, right? Like you could start doing some Facebook campaigns for free with your content and it wouldn't cost you money to either A, hire salespeople to do those calls or B, put up billboards, uh, because at that time, you know, that was really, you know, today we see digital and we think, hey, that's the number one way. But at that time, um, you know, social media advertising was great, but not many people were doing it. It was still very much based of billboard and maybe TV advertisement, and radio advertisement to kind of get people in. So, so this um, idea came from a, a project in school or was it, or was it during a time that you were working for one of the teams, they, the Sabres that you were like, Oh man, I, you know, it was, it was a mix. It was a mix of both because at the Sabres, we also talked about building an, a mobile app to, to be able to engage fans at the time. Um, and just going through that process of seeing what it took to build a mobile app yeah. uh, and, and vetting some vendors. Um, I started to, I started to realize that almost all mobile apps just again had stat scores highlights and, and kind of what, what my thought was is, you could just go onto um, the website, right, on your phone, and you would be able to see the same stuff. Why? Why would I download an entire mobile app to be able to do that? So, yeah. you know, between the paper of saying, "Hey, look, minor league teams need technology to compete uh, when they're the smaller team in a, in, a, in the same market as a larger team." Um, on the flip side of that, I also saw kind of that process with the Sabers of looking for a mobile app, and I said, "Hey, look." One, I bet we could build this, but two, you know, let me, let me do some cold emails and see who would say yes to a meeting 
uh, based on sort of a mobile app. And, and that happened right after graduation. So, you know, we so had you did a little validation kind of, on it. Yeah. You know, about the last two months of, of my MBA program, I started emailing people and, and, and starting to try to get some meetings. Um, and, you know, we, we, we then got some meetings, got some interest, um, started meeting developers to kind of start building this. And then, um, to be honest, the first, first team that said yes, uh, about two months after I graduated was uh, the Portland Winterhawks, who are still a big, big client of ours to this day. Um, but, you know, I went in there with Photoshop mockups and kind of said, this is what I think your mobile app should be able to do. And this is why, and this is why it'll be more engaging than let's say a Trailblazers app uh, that's just gonna have your stat scores and highlights. And they loved it and they kind of said, great, let's get a contract together. And that's kind of when we created the LLC. Uh, that's amazing. To, to do that and we had our first contract. The, the product uh, unequivocally failed uh, for, for many months. Um, luckily the Winterhawks were very good with us and saw the long-term vision and, and all of that. So, you know, so how we, did you pivot? What, what did you do to, to fix that? You know, we sent Lee to coding school. It was just one of those things where, you know, finding a developer to actually be able to build our vision and, and, and be able to build it and give it the love that it needed in the time frame that we had to build it very quickly. So did Lee, um, did Lee go to coding school to kind of get it to kind of a, an MVP, you know, uh, app? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we had some, some, some freelance developers get it to kind of that, that MVP level. Um, but things would break um, and we would have to rely on other people to fix them. Yeah. And, and again, when as a contractor, it's, you know, how much, you know, how much time are they willing to give to this? Um, and then, and then on the flip side of that, how much, um, you know, how much passion do they have for the project? Right? Like if I say, Hey, we need this by next Saturday, cause there's a game and we got to get it through the app store. If, if you're not really passionate about the project, um, and then, then you, you know, you're, you're going to slow roll that you're, go, you're not going to have the same urgency. So what we kind of said was, uh, our first justification was, um, I just need you to go to coding school so that you can know what you're talking about with the developers so that if they gave us an excuse for why not, I could actually even vet that to say, is that true? Right. But also just to vet developers in general. So, um, so Lee went to coding school and kind of learned those basics. And then, um, and then, you know, we had a third co-founder that kind of came on board and really built a lot of the product. Um, and then Lee kind of took that over and, and, and started really, really getting into the, the mobile app side when we had that product, but especially the new stuff that we're building. And now you're innovating and just creating new, different interactive elements of contact, right? Or just assets for, for sponsors to, to be able to, yeah. to interact with. Yeah, you know, our Fans. big thing is, is, is sponsors have needs that might be engagement, awareness, collecting leads, uh, handing yep. out coupons, um, you know, what, what we're trying to do and what we're doing with our activations and contests is saying fans want to be engaged usually through their mobile phone uh, while at sporting events. Uh, and we can see that because every time there's a stoppage in play, the first thing that happens is your phone comes out um, and, and you're looking at that. Um, so we, we kind of say, how can we put that attention at the stoppage in the game back on, you know, the sponsor? Um, and then on, you know, on the flip side, again, that value to the sponsor is they're, they're able to collect some leads. They're able to reach awareness. And the big, the big thing that we're trying to do is to say, if a sponsor had a million dollars to spend today, would they spend them on Facebook ads or would they spend them on your sponsorship? And if you look at Facebook ads, they're trackable. You can retarget people. You yep. can target people based on demographics. When you look at those traditional sponsorship assets, um, like signage, um, even like, you know, sponsored tweets, um, you're only getting part of the equation, you know, you're only getting so far down the funnel. So to be honest today, you know, and, and take out the emotional side of it, because obviously sports is, is an emotional piece that a lot of brands want to be affiliated with. And that's how we've survived. But if you actually look at it from a product's technical standpoint, Facebook ads are much more advanced and, um, can prove your ROI much better than sponsoring a sports team. And what we're trying to do is create some products to say, look, not only do you love this team and how impassioned our fans are, but I can actually tell you 
how many fans we reached, who they were, how many coupons were distributed, um, and then give you the email so that you can retarget and get another at bat with them and engage. Now, if you're a brand, you're sort of thinking, well, look, if we sponsor you know, this team, we're gonna get the same things as we would with Facebook ad, but we're gonna get that passion and excitement um, and fandom as well with it. So you know, we're, what we're almost trying to do is just give, the, give our teams and our clients these tools so that, again, when you're out there competing for advertising dollars, your biggest competitor is not the other event in town or the other sports team in town. Your biggest competitor is brands make this decision every day of do i want to sponsor this event or team or do i want to spend it on facebook ads if i know i can get 5x return on facebook ads but i have no idea what the return is going to be on a sports sponsorship piece i'm going to go facebook ads every day we're just trying to kind of level that playing field so you can say hey look we're getting 13x on these um, on the sponsorship side compared to facebook ads so you know fiscally that's a better decision roi for us uh, where, in, again, in the past, when I used to sell sponsorship and sell signage, it's, you know, you get asked the question, well, how many, how many, you know, how many Pepsis did I sell from the sign? You as a sponsorship person have no idea what that number is. And you tell the story of, well, X amount of people saw this sign and we can assume that they then went into the supermarket and chose a Pepsi over a Coke. Um, you know, in today's, that, that flew for a very long time, but in today's day and age, you can't just make that assumption. You actually have to prove how this led directly to a purchase just because again, Facebook ads, Twitter ads, paid search, all YouTube pre-roll ads, all of those can prove that. Uh, and, and sponsorship just needs a product that's gonna be able to prove that as well. Being, being current in our current situation with, with COVID and, and all those challenges, um, with sporting event, events you know, really being on pause right now, we're starting to get back into it. Have you been able to stay stay relevant? You know, f- football football's probably next on the list. You know, Major League Baseball and NBA could be coming back here soon um, without fans. Potentially, we just don't know how that scope's going to look like. But um, with with all of this, how how have you been able to stay relevant these last few months? You know, what's been interesting is you know as the shutdown happened, um, you know. Having digital assets was, was, was what you needed to have to make more money, but it wasn't vital, right? It wasn't a necessity. Um, now with the shutdown, there's only one way to engage and connect with your fans, and that's through digital elements. Um, so we've, we've never been more relevant than ever with our activations. And we saw about a month and a half and two months of, of slowing down, right? Of uh, teams, teams sort of saying, "Look, look, we don't, we don't know what's happening. We might get the games back next month. Sponsors aren't too concerned with, you know, uh, with with not having games, and we're keeping them pretty happy." But then, you know, around two months, uh, at, at sort of two months after the shutdown is when sponsors kind of start saying, "Okay, look, if you're not getting games back, you know, I'm not going to be able to invest this money." Um, and that's where you know the sports industry had to go digital, and I love that because it forced it forced them to go digital, and it forced them to build some of these assets to engage and connect. So you know, for us, we've you know we've never been I guess more busy than now, just working with our current clients as well as you know newer clients on how do you keep fans yeah. engaged? Because I mean, let's be completely honest. Yes, we have these games coming back. Uh, in in turn, tournament style, which, to be honest, doesn't help us as a team. It helps CBS and Fox. Um, but for our sponsors, we need to be really creative as a sports team to make sure that when somebody is watching this game on their television, that they're engaging with our sponsors through some sort of you know activation on social or on our website or whatever that may be. Um, so, you know, the big thing there is right now, if you're a team, you can't afford to not have digital assets and activations. And what we're trying to do is just, you know, to have that toolkit to say, hey, look, somebody, somebody used to hand out, you know, coupons um, during the game. Uh, now we don't have fans in the stadium, so obviously we can't hand those coupons out, nor would we because it's a physical thing to hand out. Um, that's when our scratch and win makes perfect sense to be able to kind of distribute those, those coupons digitally, 
reach people at their homes, it's sent via email, they can use it for online purchases uh, or whatever that may be. Um, and again, you know, it's, it's one of those things where uh, we're just, we have the tools to help um, and we've always had the tools to help. Um, it's just now it's, it's, it's been a necessity uh, to, to use it because it's, it's not necessarily you'll make more money, it's now the, the different equation is in order to not lose money, uh, I need to kind of engage and connect. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and uh, you, you have been uh, involved in, in LinkedIn. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, I'm sure, have, have interacted with you in some way um, with the content you, that you provide on LinkedIn with your LinkedIn live sessions, your sponsorship morning coffee video chats, and you've also got your podcast too. But um, how's that helped your business? And why, why, do you, why do you feel like that's a, something that you wanted to do and provide that content? Yeah, you know, with, with anything, and I, I tell people is LinkedIn's the, the key one just because, you know, who I'm trying to reach with our content, it's, it's not 100% about squad. I mean, we have a sponsorship tip of the week, which 90% of the time has nothing to do with any of our products. But, um, you know, our sports business, sports sponsorship is on LinkedIn. And they're on Twitter as well. We're getting a little bit better there, but that's kind of where our audience is. If I was, you know, selling a B2C product, I might go Instagram or I might go Facebook, right? Um, just because that's where the audience is. But, you know, a couple of things here. One, um, LinkedIn allows you to create a massive group of connections that are within your industry um, so that when you do start talking about things, when you do start talking about the digitization of sports sponsorship, um, you can reach organically a lot of people with that messaging. And then not only that, interact with them as well. Um, and then the second thing is just the way it's set up. When somebody likes your, your LinkedIn post, it then shares it with some of their followers as well. So, um, so sort of just, you know, viral is not the word for it, just because, you know, for us, it's, we don't need 350,000 people to see our message. It'd be yeah. great if 200 saw it because hopefully it helps 10 of them, right? Yeah. Um, but when somebody likes that post, it shows it to other people and it spreads it. Uh, extremely well so you know for us it's we sort of said we have this content and some of these insights on how we can help um, what's the best way to get that out to the people um, and, and really engage them in uh, LinkedIn was that easiest way to reach a ton of people within sponsorship and be able to connect with them um, and that's really why we chose it and again it's it's one of those things where you know some people ask me like okay, well, I'm a sports team. What's my LinkedIn? Um, and it's, it's just going to be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. And, you know, you're, you're going to want to experiment with all of them. But, you know, your fans are on those platforms. The first thing you do is you ask them, where are they consuming the most? And the second thing is just being prevalent on those so you can find that piece. I mean, we, we were equally prevalent on Twitter and LinkedIn for a very long time with our content. And LinkedIn just won out particularly because their algorithm is better at reaching the people we want to reach. Um, so, you know, we kind of doubled down on LinkedIn and said, Hey, this is a place where we can be the most helpful with our content uh, and reach the more, most people. So we're really going to focus that onto, onto LinkedIn. Almost feels like a full-time job providing that content daily. You know, it's, it, it is. And, and, and again, I geek out on sponsorship, so it's fun for me. Um, so it doesn't fully feel like work. Um, but you know, between, you know, we, it started off with articles. We added a podcast called the inches. We then did our sponsorship tip of the week video series that comes on on Wednesdays. Then we started a newsletter. Uh, then we started doing sponsorship morning coffee, uh, which is a LinkedIn live show with sponsorship people. We just started our re reset activation series. Uh, so, you know, when, when teams are restarting or resetting their season, um, here's some activations that will help. And it has been, it has grown into almost that media piece of it. Um, but again, you know, to, to be honest and fully transparent for our business, it's never been better for our business because people know who squad is, um, what we do. And then, you know, again, outside of our product, how we, how we're giving advice and giving, you know, insights into how we're thinking about the digitization of sponsorship to be able to help. Um, so it's, you know, in all transparency, it's great for the business for bringing in leads and educating people about our company. But 
but yeah, it is a full-time job. It's, it's, you know, one thing I will say is if you're very disciplined about segmenting it, we always shoot our sponsorship tip of the week on Tuesday and then cut it up Tuesday night. So it's ready to go Wednesday. So if you can kind of get into that schedule piece of it, of, of where you're spending your time, um, it makes it a lot easier than just trying to go off the cuff and, you know, saying, Hey, I think I want to do the tip of the week this week and then totally forgetting about it for two or three weeks. Yeah. Well, keep it up. I think it's great content and, and, uh, it's great for the industry. Thank you. So keep, keep, keep doing that. How, how do you feel activations are going to change? And I don't, don't really want to say post COVID cause I think we're going to have to live with it for a long time, especially till we get some vaccines. But how do you feel like this, this pandemic is going to change activations? Yeah, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to move them digital. And we are, again, we were already on that trend. This sort of just accelerated it. You know, the biggest thing that I, that, that I foresee is paper coupons will go away, um, and um, which is fine. I mean, to be honest, it's way more co- cost effective to be able we're to We're saving trees being, being in Oregon, right? Exactly. exactly. I mean, it's, it's eco-friendly with saving trees. It's going to save you time. I mean, one of my early internship jobs was picking up all the paper coupons that yeah. people threw on the ground. So, yep. um, so, you know, I'm excited for that because, you know, coupons should have been digitized two years ago. This is just going to force that because, um, because I mean, in, in what we think of will be the new stadium environment, um, you can't hand out paper coupons because it's physical. So, you know, that's, that's one way where I think it's going to be great for the industry because you're going to save money. Uh, you're going to be more efficient and more trackable. Um, you're going to save the environment, but also um, it's, it's, it's going to be better for your sponsors. The, one, the thing that really intrigues me, and it's one of those things where you can strategize all you want, but to be honest, your fans will kind of decide how this goes down is, um, you know, let's talk about like sponsor boothing or tailgate boothing at a stadium. What does that look like? Yeah, do you feel like that? Do you feel like that's going to return? You know, it, you know, it, I think it has to. Um, I'm, and for those booths, it's usually you know vacation. It's usually um, uh, it's 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 vacation. It's uh, car dealerships. It's you know some of these some of these one to one connection um, businesses. Because that's where, an impactful connection face to face. Exactly. Like nobody's buying a car based on a coupon or a sign. Like yeah. usually it's like, Hey, I like the Toyota dealership guy I met at the game. Let me go talk to them. So, you know, pre COVID we were looking for ways that we could set up those one-to-one, like we would use digital with the, to get to the end result of you're sitting next to a car dealer at your local dealership and he's, he or she's buying you a beer, right. And, and, and engaging with you so that when you are ready to buy a new car, you're like, you know what? I like that guy, John over at Toyota. Let's go talk to him first. Um, that's going to totally change. Um, and, and again, it's, it's going to get to a point where, you know, in stadium booths, you're going to have to social distance and they can't hand anything out. Um, so is there a way, do you, do you feel like there's a way to, to make that experience a digital experience? You know, there's, there's kind of two ways that I see foresee to solve that. The first is outside of the game. Um, I'm a big proponent on this. And I think um, I, I think this is more what's going to happen in the, in the medium term is with all these game restarts, you should be doing a Facebook live with a dealership, you know, seller at your local car dealership where he's helping give analysis on the game. Whenever I've sold sponsorship or even, you know, working with, you know, some of our clients who works with sponsors, there's, there's always that one employee who knows a ton about hockey, football, whatever it is. Right. Um, so, you know, when you think of a one-to-one connection in a non sort of in the stadium space, um, if, if, you know, if John from Toyota is on the pregame, the pregame segment on a YouTube or a Facebook live and actually saying, you know what, here's what I think the most important thing about tonight is, you know, these are the three key points. And I really think that, you know, I really think that our quarterback's going to be able to throw very well against these two corners, right? And there's inevitably, again, in sponsorship, there's going to be that person who can actually give that in-depth analysis. If I'm watching that pregame show, I'm connecting with that person one-to-one because I'm seeing their face. I'm hearing their analysis that's mm-hmm. not car dealership speak. 
Um, and I'm building a, I'm, you know, to be honest, I'm building a digital relationship with them. And that's going to help toward the goal. Again, the goal is to say, when you're ready to buy a new car, your first question is, okay, who am I going to go to, right? Um, that's going to help you with that connection. As we get back into the stadium piece, you know, you're just going to have to change the way you connect. I mean, we're working with some teams on a, on a tailgate piece to where you walk up to a sponsor booth, uh, you may chat with them, you know, behind, you know, as you, as you see at most restaurants, there's going to be like a plexiglass thing where you may, you're chatting with them a little bit, but um, instead of them handing you something, you're scanning a QR code and that's, that's allowing you to unlock a, you know, proving you into the booth and unlock a prize. So, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be the interesting thing that might change. And, you know, to be honest, um, if, if the main goal of somebody was to collect phone numbers or leads at a, at a game, I would, I would set up a booth. I would set up sort of a guardrail of, you know, those usher sort of uh, blockades and, and put that around the booth at six feet. And then what I would do is I would have, I'd have the organization print up a giant thing that says text to win and then have the number and then have the fans text from six feet away to see what they won. And then, you know, maybe that dealer is, then following back up and actually trying to text with them and build that relationship through there. So, you know, it's, it's going to just be different. I mean, again, the goal hasn't changed for a car dealership. They want you to not only love their cars, but love the person you're buying from same with insurance, same with banking. Right. Um, We just have to change and adjust a little bit what that looks like in a place where you can't walk up to a booth, shake somebody's hand, and engage with them. So I yeah, think you want to feel like you want to do business with people. You feel like you have a relationship or a connection with, right? Exactly. And, and, and that just doesn't go from a, from a B2B. That's also a B2C relationship too. They, they feel like yep. they have a relationship with a brand. Yep, right? exactly. So it's, you know, what the big thing that I always tell our teams as well as anybody I talk to in sponsorship about post COVID is, I mean, they have the same goals. What a brand is deciding is do I, I have the same goal of selling a car, which usually the first step of that goal is to introduce them to my dealer, my dealership people and get them to know that dealership and trust that dealership. Um, Do I spend on on what the sports team has for me, which may be just some signage um, and a few sponsored tweets, or do I spend on a pre-roll YouTube ad campaign where that dealer is introducing themselves locally? Um, and, and again, they're, they're trying to reach the same goal. Our job in sports sponsorship is to be creative and say, look, I know your other option is to do YouTube pre-roll. I want to do you one step further than that. What I want to do is I want to set up a live segment that's going to be pregame to where one of your dealer comes on and talks about football, talks about, you know, in-depth on the pregame. Um, that's our job. Our job is to create activation points that are still going to reach that sponsor's goal but it's just going to be a, in a little bit of a different way. And we're going to have to be a little bit more creative about how we engage and, um, and, and do that. What do you feel like are the, the most important messaging strategies for brands uh, to use in their sponsorships? You know, it's, it's again, it, it really, really, really matters on th- their goals and what they're doing. Sure. Um, you know, right now what we're seeing a lot from brands are, are still community assets, meaning, they want to show off how much they are doing for frontline workers. They want to tell the message about how we're all in this together, or, you know, if it's a cleaning supply company, how they're really helping, you know, clean, keep everything clean within your offices and public spaces and all of that. So, you know, it's the, the easiest thing you can do in sponsorship is go to, go to a company's Twitter page or website, scroll through and be able to see, okay, this is the messaging they're using. So when I reach out, I know that you're very community based with your stuff. Um, so I think, you know, it really matters what the brand's goal is. We are starting to see brands kind of jump off of that and get back to a little bit of their, let's call it normal advertising where they're actually advertising the product. But um, I think the big thing right now for brands is, is still, you know, doing that community partnership sort of advertising. Um, to where it's, here's how we're helping the community. I'm going to use this time to really build our brand and not ask you for a transaction so that six months from now, I can ask you for that transaction. Um, so I think that's a lot of their strategy right now. And then again, you know, obviously within your partnership package, it's important to 
first of all, understand that before you even get on the call with some pre-research, but then after the fact, be able to um, be able to get onto the um, get get onto building a, a package and, and and assets that will help facilitate that goal, so that um, you know it's an, it becomes a no-brainer for them. We're going to spend on the sponsorship because they get it. They get we're trying to do community-based, and they even also get it that eventually we're going to have to sell some products. So here's how we can do that. Yeah. What do you feel like the future looks like for Squad? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's bright. Um, you know, for us, again, we're, we're kind of six inches in front of our face looking at, you know, what are the ways that we can help teams sell more sponsorship and, and connect brands to their fans. So, you know, right now, just within the last four months, we've gone from four to eight activations that we offer and they're all based on different sponsorship needs and, and wants and desires. Um, and, 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 and that's, again, that's the big piece there is, um, you know, it's, it's really just understanding what brands need, being able to give some products that are going to help, you know, those, those brand, the teams be able to engage their sponsors with their fans and then grow from there. I mean, we've, we've, we've had a ton of growth. COVID kind of slowed that down a little bit, but it's looking like, you know, quarter three, quarter four, we'll work with a ton more teams that are, that are sort of new. Um, but you know, we, as squad, we almost day to day it, we kind of say, Hey, look, what are, what are those big pieces where we can be the most helpful with some of our activations? And then, you know, how do we create them quickly so that we can kind of get them out into the market? And I've got a few, I've got a few questions to ask everybody at the end of, of mm -hmm. each podcast here that I want to ask you. Um, first one is, is what makes you get up in the morning and do what you do? Yeah. I mean, it's, again, it's, it's just sponsorship. It's for me, it's knowing that, uh, knowing that Facebook, Google, Twitter, Snapchat, I mean, TikTok just came out with the advertising platform, knowing within sponsorship that every day those platforms are coming out with brand new and more innovative ways to help, you know, uh, a brand reach their, uh, or a brand reach their customer. And, you know, what gets me up in the morning is waking up, seeing that TikTok just launched basically their ad tools um, and, and, and knowing that we have to have, we have to be able to facilitate a product with our team that's going to be just as valuable um, to them. So it's, it's kind of this chase of, you know, we're not, we're not 100% chasing the, these other ad tools just because, to be honest, we, we suggest using them to be able to boost your sponsorship running paid Facebook ads with a sponsor to be able to help reach, you know, your fans and segmented fans. But it's, it's really kind of that piece of, you know, the, the competition being, you know, digital is, is always getting better. And there's always a new thing that brands can spend their dollars on. You know, how can we make sure that sports sponsorship is up there when you think about those pieces um, and, and making sure that, there's there's not going to be you know a a point where a company says well we only do digital and none of your assets are digital or there's nothing that compares with facebook ads so it's it's kind of that chase of how how can we build you know new products new ways to reach fans that are going to be better than you know those digital ad products that are always innovative yeah and you're young enough. I'm going to adjust the the time frame on this. But uh, if you were listening to this podcast ten years ago, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? Um, you know, I I think I think just the early part of my story of of taking that risk on on your uh, on your first job. Um, you know, to be honest, in the short term, it hurt me that I didn't take that Comcast Sportsnet because that logo would have looked way better on my resume. Um, when I was kind of out there looking for those pro jobs. Um, but the, the information and the experience was invaluable from what I learned. So, you know, I think, I think as you're starting off in the beginning, um, be totally fine with taking that very risky job, right, with either a new team, a new organization, uh, whatever that may, or even venturing out on your own and in, in doing some things, um, you know, take that risk early on. The worst that happens when you're young is that it doesn't work out. <laughs> you have time to go. Move then, it's on and, then it's okay. You have time to recover, right? Exactly. And I mean, you know, I'm 30 and, and, and I have, I have friends who are getting close to 40 and they're just like, you have, you have no idea how much time you have. 
uh, in, in you know, even just a 10 year gap. Uh, you're in your 30s, you can still mess up uh, within reason and, and bounce back. Um, and, and I think that's the big piece for, for young people, especially in the sports industry, is try new things. I mean, to be honest, the most valuable thing you can bring to a sports team can't be taught as a sports team. And by that, I mean, if you learn Snapchat ads and how to utilize and, and work, you know, really work the system with Snapchat, you are more valuable to a sports team than anything else. And, and it, may, it may be a risk of starting your own Snapchat influencer agency, learning a ton about Snapchat, having it miserably fail because you didn't make enough money, and then going to a sports team and saying, well, I understand Snapchat, and to be honest, your Snapchat is lacking. Here's the value you could be getting. So I think, I think that's the big thing is, is you know, take that risk early. Um, Take the take the not the not the path you know take the path less traveled um, and if it doesn't work out you can always get back you know can get back on track you have time to kind of recover. Well, Nick, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Jason. Really appreciate your time. Nick Lawson, founder and CEO of Squad. Thanks, Nick. Yep. Thank you for listening to the Sponsor Pod. Today's podcast was brought to you by Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Sponsor Pod. Before you go, I want to remind you to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends through email, social media, or even by word of mouth. We appreciate all the support. Until next time, I'm Jason Smith, and you've been listening to The Sponsor Pod.